Wait Turn on the radio. My homie got a new show and it's time to play it's it though. Play it I hope you got in tune. He talking bigger business. He make a lot of moves. We talking Skakatoon. I'm saying, wait a minute. Turn on the radio. My homie got a new show. Welcome to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Joining me on today's show, my guest co-host. Todd Capone, Venture Scale, uh, the author of the book, The Transparency Sale, which he brought here. For those of you, you can watch the show, believe it or not, on WGNRadio.com slash on air or live on it, something like that. If you are, this is it. I'm holding it in front of the camera. Um, I'm going to get the business side of this out of the way first. Uh, you can download all of our podcasts, past and present. You can subscribe to the newsletter by going to technor.com. You can follow us on Technor. You can follow me at Katoon. You can call in on this show, believe it or not, 312-981-7200. Nobody loves to have a heckler more than me. Uh, obviously, you can go to, to um, Ventures, at VentureScale Shy, I believe, correct? Uh, it's .io. .io. Is yes. that Well, no, I mean on, the, uh, on, on social. That's probably right. Yes, I think that's, that's a good question. I, I should a, know these. You things. should know these things. Dot um, <laughs> io for the actual website. I'm sure if you go to the website VentureScale.io, you can find all this stuff out. I just want to get that out of the way first, um, and then of course I have to do a shout out. He's been on the show numerous times. Mike Elfman is the founder of Dare Mighty Things. Dare Mighty Things is coming back again this year. Go to DareMightyThings.com. You can or dot co. I think DareMightyThings.co. He's going to text me in two seconds. Pissed. Uh, DareMightyThings.co. And check that out. It's an amazing event. I have been the uh, the host of that several times and enjoy it every single time. And I just want to shout out to Mike because he looks out for me. He's been on the show. He's, he's always great. We look out for him. He is the first person to catch any mistake that I make or my team makes on social media and immediately tells me there's a problem. And I so dearly appreciate it. So this is your free shout out. Now, let's get down to business. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so... I'm not even sure where we want to start. We've got the whole show with you. The back half, we're going to have Nano call in. We're going to hear that pitch, talk a little bit about it. But leading up to that, there's like three things I want to talk about with you. The the most pressing is just sales in general. Obviously, I want you to plug the book and let people know what, what the value is in the book and so forth. And then the other part of this is now that you've kind of been at multiple levels within the, the business hierarchy, if you will, uh, and now looking at a position where you're going to see a lot of opportunities to angel invest or whatever... What what are the things that companies are just flat missing that you think if you don't have this, I don't have any interest in you? So let's let's start with that and then we'll work our way backward. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many great tech startups in this community where the entrepreneurs are awesome at building the product and developing it and getting the engineers together to build something that customers want. But when it comes to selling they think they suddenly have to put on the plaid jacket and the gold chains, and they don't know what to do. And so I think at the highest level, it's about getting their sales foundation built correctly yeah. from the beginning. And then if we go one level deeper, it's focus. It's what is my ideal customer base? Who is my ideal customer? And let's make sure we stick to that. Even if we could sell to everybody, let's get one path right and then scale from there. And those are kind of the two things that I always suggest first. It's, it's so interesting to me because of the founders that we talked to, and it's not just Chicago, it's all over the place. There is like two, so there's this first thing, like I built a product or I built a platform and I just flat out don't have any idea how to sell it. And there's this like assumption that people, it's so great. People are just going to come and buy it. And it's like, they should be honored to have the opportunity to use my product. Like very few people have the ability to do what superhuman has, which is like super referral, like make you feel like you have to have, you're missing out if you don't have it. That is not a sound strategy for most people, uh, for really anyone except for them, maybe. Um, 
And so there's that component. And then the other thing of this is, and I, I harp on this on the podcast all the time when we talk about sales, the social media world has spoiled young people to a point where they don't know how to communicate in a human, in a, like in a person to person way. And there's a, like they might, I hear this a lot. I'm sure you hear it even more. There's a, what's the right word to phrase this? There's a certain distaste or whatever it is about sales that they're like, Oh, I don't want to be the call center. I don't want to have, it's like, that's how business gets done. I don't think it's distaste. I think it's fear. I think you're afraid of what you don't know because even though this is hard to build a company, the last year and change has been in your wheelhouse and this isn't in your wheelhouse and you're afraid of it. And so then you point at it and go, we're going to do another way when in reality is called Todd. Well, well, essentially so many of these people think they have to be a different personality. Yes. And so that's a combination. If we were talking venture scale and the book combined and how those two come together, let's do that. That's awesome. Good segue. So I, basically when I was at power reviews, so great Chicago company helps retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their yep. website. So you're on crocs.com or vineyard vines or jet. You're looking at the reviews next to a product that was power reviews that was powering that. But the important piece was this idea that we found as a result of a study we did with Northwestern University that found that when a consumer's looking at reviews, a review score between a 4.2 and a 4.5 actually sells better than a product that's a perfect 5. So a 4.2 sells better than a 5, which sounds totally counterintuitive. It's the same reason why on, on Instagram, a fully produced video performs way less than an organic, like, cloudy background authenticity. not so authenticity sells well yeah and it's funny that 96 percent of us look at reviews before we make any purchase that we haven't made before but the big one is that 82 percent of us look for the negative reviews first we just scan past the fives and go all right where are the fours threes yeah. twos and ones i don't like want... the ones i only buy products with the one <laughs> I, I want garbage i just i love because then i go on twitter and i crap on it and well it's you fun. know that you're not getting perfect though. yeah and so i started looking at the brain science around that and found a whole treasure trove of things around the idea that we are all wired to resist being unduly influenced. So the fives, they really actually provide no value. So I started looking at, all right, that's B2C. That's when a website is acting as the seller. What happens when a human is acting as the seller in most of these B2B environments? Yeah. If we lead with our flaws and lead with transparency and actually build authentic trust from the beginning, does that help? It turns out it acts the same. If we're presenting our solutions as perfect, a perfect five, we're pushing the brain away. If we lead with the flaws, again, 82% are looking for the negatives yeah. first. We lead with the flaws. We actually build trust and your sales cycles go up, your win rates go up and you're working deals that you should win instead of the ones that you're going to lose six months from now. We are going to take a, a commercial break and I want to come back and talk about more sales in general. And there's a there's two terms that I have taken on. I, I own them now, even though they've been around forever. <clears throat> looky loo and new new. And I want to go in with you into this with you as to like, what is a looky loo and what is a new new and why should I care? Uh, you're listening to WGN Radio AM 720. This is Scott Tattoo. I am here with Todd Capone. He is the author of The Transparency Sale. If you haven't had a chance to read the book, you should check it out. Uh, Amazon, anywhere? Is there a it's preference? It's everywhere books are sold. Yes. Okay, it's everywhere. That's that's what I was assuming. Yep. As a sales guy, I can't imagine you missed the platform. And by the way, I narrated the audiobook myself, oh my, okay. so if you need somebody to We're log you go, off We don't sleep. have a ton of time, so I want to make sure we stick <laughs> on sales, but I'm just going to put this out there because you are an author. 
as a podcast person who's made like more or less made a living in podcast, the audiobook experience with the author reading it, and especially the unabridged version where they go off on their own little tangents, it is the best experience in reading. I don't, I mean, this sounds really bad. I don't read anymore other than like paper contracts work. I listen to an audiobook or two a week, and it's always the authors. And I just think, what are you doing? If you write this, you took the time to write the book, read it. Like, it's not really rocket science, but anyway, so I appreciate you that anyone, people should check that out because you obviously are a successful speaker as well. So I suspect that it translates. Um, so we left off the break talking about kind of an intro into sales a little bit. And there's two areas that I think people don't get, and this is entrepreneurs, but it's also anyone who's listening right now, who's not an entrepreneur and they work in any business and especially obviously if they're in sales or have any sort of tie to like the driving of revenue, the looky loo is and I don't know if you're familiar with that term or not, but it was made famous by the terrible human that is Jordan Belfort. But it's a beautiful, beautiful term. And the number of businesses, myself included, who have lost a business, literally, I don't mean lost a sale, I mean the whole business went under, because you got hooked on looky-loos and didn't know who they were when you met them, a looky-loo is someone who has zero intent to buy from you, ever. But they love to engage you in a sale. And they will continue to talk about what the opportunities are and how the partnership could be. And then they, they ghost when it's check time. And honestly, I have several salespeople who I am acting as something of a looky-loo for because I might use them, but I'm probably not. But I'm trying to get as much info as I can. And to those salespeople, I apologize on one hand. And I also tell you, shame on you. Because you should know better. That is the one first part of this that I think you probably know better than anyone else how to spot and why it's so damaging yeah there's the old phrase bant do you remember that that was a how to qualify an opportunity as worthy of your time and it's budget i I actually don't even remember what the a is authority needs and timeline and i actually had coined a new way of thinking about it it's actually taking a customer's temp and what temp is 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 there a trigger in their business meaning is their status quo no longer sustainable? You've yep. got to figure that out before you spend too much time on them. Yep. Uh, EE means engagement. Engagement shown in their willingness to put you in their calendar. Yeah. It's not, hey, call me next week. It's, yeah. let's talk Tuesday at 10 o'clock. They're the ones driving the, the, the scheduling. Well, trip. yes, exactly. Then M is a mobilizer. And mobilizer means somebody that you've been able to assess that can actually mobilize change in an organization. So it's aside from Real the looking stakeholder. Low, well, yeah, it's somebody, it, it's either a stakeholder or somebody who has proven it, that they can make things happen and that other people in the organization see them. They're not calling you to buy it and then have to get buy it. Exactly. They already have, or can manufacture it quickly. Well, yeah, I think the combination, and then the, the fourth one, by the way, is, is P, which is plan, meaning you've got a timeline and you're working together. You as a salesperson are basically the Sherpa of that deal. I think the two that, help with the looky-loos are the trigger and the mobilizer, right? Totally. Is there a status quo that's worth changing and that person sees it? And the second thing is, do you have evidence that they can actually mobilize change in an organization? I love that. There's a there's sort of a, a bridge, if you will, to the next kind of piece of this. And that is when you look at the number of salespeople who don't do the research, to, to find out the T and the E in your and, and the M and the, and the P <laughs> to find all of those, you don't even have to talk to the person usually. Like if you look at an organization and they're fast moving, they're constantly putting new product out and they're constantly, you know, being written up. They're moving. And if you look at the individual you're dealing with, and, and it, it doesn't take much, you go to LinkedIn. First off, they don't have a LinkedIn. That's a whole nother thing. You go to LinkedIn 
And you can look at how quickly they've moved up the chart at their company. What position are they in to start with, and then where where have they come from, and how many places have they touched along the way? If they if they're a person who's in and out of organizations really quickly, my suspicion is that they don't have a whole lot of trust. And if they're in an organization and they've moved up the organization quickly, they have a lot of trust. You could look at that right off the bat and be like, this person is probably a C at best. So like, let's be quick here. And then the company, if the company is a C and the person's a C. You just move on. Well, there are individuals that you can... I mean, there's things that you can ask to figure out whether somebody's truly a mobilizer if you've seen them move up in an organization. Because there's a difference between somebody who can mobilize change and somebody who's in it to get a promotion. Well, yes, that's true too. Yeah, so there's some things you can ask and figure out. Is it a lot of we and I language or is it... You know, our organization, what we're trying to accomplish. And you can hear that in the language that they're sharing. The other thing that, and I, I've talked about this on other shows, and I don't have an answer yet, and, and I hope you do, but it's one of those things where it's, I don't even know. The Just a trick, to call it a pro tip for the listener. Once you get to the stage where you're actually in person with someone, there's a tactic that I never had a name for it until I actually read Jordan Belfort's book. And then he named it, and I was like, oh my God, that's totally it. Mirroring. The ability for a person, and you can do it digitally too. Don't being not being over, you know, over presumptuous or not being super like clicky and cl- clingy, or whatever. The ability to recognize a person and what they, who they are, and how they hang and how they sit down, and and not like immediately mirror them, but like slowly get comfortable with them is a really quick way to trick people into getting comfortable and trusting you. I never have yet to figure out if that's an. It's obviously a trainable skill. You can train any. You can train a monkey to do something. But does the monkey have the intuition to see what you know, whether that's a turn off or a turn on? Do you think it's a is that one of the components to making a natural salesman, or is that something that just in general you think all people could be trained? Well, gosh, and there's any, a blue angel flying behind me. I just saw it on TV. And that's yeah, awesome. I, I appreciate that you did a flyover for me. That's amazing yeah, that they you knew. set that up. They knew you were here. I think it, it all comes down to authenticity. I am not a, personally a believer of tips or tricks that are. You know, from building a connection through mirroring yeah. and negotiation, you look for eye twitches. And, it doesn't and like go all along that crap, with transparency right? sale, clearly. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think that, I mean, the, if you're really going to build a connection with somebody, you become an authentic human being, you lead with flaws, and it's not only the brain science, but you had made a point about doing your research before you go into a deal. There's now this massive proliferation of reviews and feedback and everything we do, yep. everything we buy, everything that we experience. And your buyers are coming to you as a seller, as an entrepreneur, whatever it is, they should have done their homework too. They know what the flaws are before the first conversation. So if you want to build an authentic connection, lead with it. Address the elephant in the room in the first conversation. I've seen mirroring work. I've also seen it become incredibly creepy. Yes. Well, that was kind of my point is like the, the natural skill set I think is I usually can tell if a person is like super high energy and they're like right on, you know, like they're jitters from coffee or if they're just really relaxed. And, and if I come in super like I'm, I'm under the gun and I'm really fast, fast talking really gets out of the realm. It's, it's not being creepy. It's trying to just get our, ourselves comfortable. We have a, a minute basically here before we have to take another sweet commercial to pay for the show. Um, so we can pick this up after the pitch if we want to. But the other thing that I think is really important is the the concept of a new new, which to me is this is a new person to you, a new business contact, a new everything. And there is a misconception among those who are socially connected who think that they're not these are these are network, they're good, they're like good to go. It's a good sale. They've never done business with you. They're a new new. Just because you know who they are and they know your name and you're connected on LinkedIn does not mean that that's a trend like we have a pipeline. You don't have a pipeline. You have a pipeline to new news. That's what you have a pipeline to. 
where where are you on the on the the like how important is it to separate the people from new new to to we have a relationship or i've worked with them in the past like where where do you align that Wow. There's so many ways to do it. It's a hard one. I think you've got to establish as an organization what your true qualification criteria is going to be. I think temp works a lot because if you can identify the mobilizers, whether they're a new, new or somebody that you've dealt with before, yep. you've got experience. It does sort with of take them. that that question mark out of the equation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think that people would really, really could learn a lot from just making sure that whether they read transparency sale or, or actually start pursuing books about sales. I don't think people understand the the actual art of sales seems to have disappeared. I talked to older generations and they're just like, what are your people doing? <laughs> like we, we, we hung out at conferences for weeks on end with people. I got to know these people's families and you're just trying to just shove product down their throat and it's, it's not working. Uh, we are going to take another break and then we're going to come back with the news and then we're going to hear a pitch. And then you and I are going to wrap up talking about what that company might need to be successful. Fantastic. All right. You're listening to Scott Katoon. This is the startup showcase on WGN radio. All right, you are back to the Startup Showcase. You can go to republic.co slash register, and then you can become an investor. Uh, you do not have to be a rich person. You can put in $10 or $10,000 if you are a rich person. Um, the companies that come on have had a lot of success, $50 million raised from this, this type of program. So um, it's you know some high-quality companies. The next company coming on is Nano. We are going to hear about Nano. It is a, a sort of call it a, I call it a nurse. That's the wrong person. It's a, like a sitter on demand. So let's cue up our elevator pitch music and have Nano pitch. Hi, I'm Liz Ordle with Nano. Um, we are an on-demand child care service. So think of Uber or Lyft, but for babysitters. If you've ever had kids or you have kids now, you know that finding a babysitter at the last minute or even at all can really be a hassle. So we realized as moms ourselves that this was a, an industry that really was ripe for disruption. We really wanted a product in, in place for ourselves and people like us to be able to book a, a babysitter when we needed one, where we needed one, whether it's when at home, if you have a work emergency, if your sitter calls in sick, or if you're just traveling and you want a babysitter to take a vacation from your vacation, that's what we do. So we are nationally have a nationwide network. We have thousands of caregivers all over, including in Chicago, um, and we're really excited to, to keep on spreading the word. Well said. Totally get it. I was talking before the show, uh, well, with Todd, but also with Amy, who had the show before me, uh, about the fact that there's obviously Sitter City was born here in Chicago. There's Care.com. There's these these alternatives that are good for getting the nanny, the person who is there all the time. Sitter City launched Chime, which is kind of a Uber-ish for nannying, but it still sort of lacks the uh, on-demand literal sense. And as a person who now has uh, a nine-week-old child, my wife, I would love... We're going to the, the BMW uh, tournament championship tomorrow, and I would love to be able to find help quickly, but it's almost impossible to find someone who's the right person quickly, like actually quickly. You can do it a day ahead, but not immediately. So if that's what you're pursuing, I think that's an area that is completely uh, open still. I don't think it's been solved well. So what? I just want to ask you kind of off the top, like what was the inspiration for, for trying to jump into this fray? Well, first of all, congratulations on your baby. That's awesome. I'm sure you guys are thrilled. Um, I have two children of my own. One is five, one is seven at this point. Um, but when I had my kids, I was a lawyer at a corporate law firm. So when emergencies came up, it was, you know, all hell broke loose. We really didn't have a way to fix it. And as, you know, technology early adopters, we, we really thought that there was a need in the market for this. So it's sort of a, a combination between seeing our own personal need for it and then seeing the enormous market that's really available for this kind of a product. 
So one of the questions that I have is when I think about how we're uh, wired as human beings, we're wired to try to predict our experience. And so with Uber or any of those, you're obviously able to look at reviews first, but it's still hard to see the difference between a 4.8 and a 4.9 on the Uber drivers. But when I think about my kids and think about having an on-demand sitter that maybe I have not had a chance to fully vet, I'm trying to predict, all right, is this person going to come into my house and steal all my stuff and abuse my kids or, you know, or, hope it, not. yeah, exactly. Or is this person going to be perfect? And I'm going to want to build a relationship with them and have them babysit all the time. How do you be sure to vet these uh, babysitters and then help make the connection for the consumer that's looking at one to make sure that they feel so comfortable that somebody that they've never met before is coming into their home to watch their kids while they try to go enjoy their evening. That is an excellent point, and it helps me to raise the most important thing about our product. In order to have this product happen at all, in order for us as moms to even feel safe putting it into the world, we had to develop a really in-depth vetting process. And our vetting process, in my opinion, is better than any other vetting process, any other way that you can find a babysitter, either online or offline. It involves a full criminal background check, like their entire criminal history, not just, you know, the things that are available on digital records. Um, it also has a skills test to make sure that they know all the safety skills that you need, especially with young kids. That's really important. And then finally, we have a psychometric behavioral profile. So that takes the place of an in-person interview because that, we think, is way more objective to being able to know whether the person has personality characteristics that are, you know, perhaps that would incline them to, to put their own needs over the needs of the children. And so that is a really robust vetting system, and it makes us know that every single one of the caregivers on our platform are objectively good. Now, does that mean it's a perfect personality fit? No. Um, the way that we account for that is that after after you're matched with somebody, they call you and you have a conversation with them. And if it doesn't feel like a good fit at that point, then you can call us or, or do something on the app and it says, you know, this is not a good fit for me, try again. And we'll do that. It rarely happens, but it's something that's really important to us that we built into the system to make sure that the parents would feel comfortable. And then um, finally, the idea of, well, what if you love this person and you want to book them all the time? And we have a favoriting feature for that. So if you have a person that you love and you want to book them all the time, then you can favorite them. That doesn't guarantee that they're going to be available every single time you need them. Obviously, they're a human being living a life. Um, but it does mean that every time you book after that, it will go to them first. So if they're available, they can pick it up before it goes out to anybody else. I love the answer. I want to throw a hang hang a curveball over here for Todd on how are you guys driving either adoption from the actual would-be sitters or, more importantly, the users themselves. How are you actually getting penetration in these markets you're in? Honestly, we had, I'll tell you one thing we did that didn't work, which was we were trying to really like capitalize on the network effect and really get in, ingrained in networks, and we realized that that wasn't immediate enough. So, the, So really the way that we get to people is, through search engine optimization and paid search traffic, because really when people are looking for this, they find us. And when they find us, they, then we are the solution that they're looking for. So from the standpoint of like a cost for acquisition, you pretty much put that at the top and just said, we have a, a target of this is how much money we are going to have to pay for a qualified quality user who will continue to use us, not just download and then this is what we're, you know, how many, how many times do they have to use the app to pay for their cost of acquisition? So the, the first part of it is we we wanted that incentivizes us even further to make sure that our product is really strong, right? So once we have paid for that person to be our first time user, we want to make sure that they're going to come back forever, and that that goes into 
you know, how we select the caregivers, how we vet them, the experience they have with our customer support. You know, if something happens, they don't get the job, doesn't get picked up right away or anything that might possibly happen in their booking flow. We're there to really make sure that they get handled. Um, so that's really important to us because we really value the customer if we're going to pay to have acquired them, obviously. Um, but then the idea of, you know, what we have to do to get them and how we, how we, our long time, our long term value of them. Um, once they are an active user on our system, they're, they could be on there for five to 10 years, you know, as, as long as the experience still keeps on, on being positive. So in our current unit economics, it takes two to three months on, on typical user behavior to pay back the cost of acquisition, which is good. That's like actually above average for a marketplace. Um, obviously, we want to do better than that, but that, but that's already we're already doing pretty well as far as economics are concerned. But it really just highlights our need to make sure that those those users are having a positive experience because that's how we make sure that we keep them. I love that answer. Anyone who listens to the show knows my obsession with unit economics when it comes to startups. I think it tells. I think you can learn more about that than any projection on the planet. Todd, do you have anything else? Yeah, I was just curious about the profile of the caregivers. When I think about the traditional babysitter, it's a high school kid that's looking for something to do on the weekends to make a little bit of money. They come and go. They all of a sudden go to college. They're not babysitting anymore. What What is the typical profile of the caregivers and what is the turnover of those caregivers? Because it sounds like there's an investment that they need to make to be a member and be a part of the, the platform. Awesome question. So first of all, because it's so flexible for them, um, they, we have people coming in and out, you know, sometimes they have more time, sometimes they have less time, and they're always welcome to continue to be on the platform. Um, but we actively pursue teachers, nurses, college students, and professional nannies. Those are the four demographics that we actively try to recruit. Um, teachers and nurses obviously are amazing, and, you know, especially in the summer, they sometimes, as teachers sometimes have a lot of time, so they want to make extra income, so that's a really good fit, especially because it's so flexible. Um, and college students. So no one on our platform can be under 18 because we need to be able to run that full criminal background check, and we can only do that on people who are 18 and older. Um, but we but we look for college students that have um, either early education backgrounds or that they're studying early education or other things. Some of the things that make really awesome caregivers are people who are studying music or art or design, um, theater. So, th- so these are sort of the personality characteristics that we see showing up again and again in our best caregivers, and so that's what we actively recruit for. Very cool. I, I love this. I, uh, I'm i going to say this on the back of the show, but I, I believe you have won my investment on Republic, so people will see that on my on my Twitter and on my uh, social media pages. You've done a fantastic job, uh, and best of luck to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. And just to be clear, uh, it's nano, N-A-N-N-O, app.com. Is that correct? It's just N-A-N-N-O.com. Oh, even better. Quicker yet. People yep. should definitely download the app and, <laughs> yep. uh, and go to republic.co slash N-A-N-N-O. Have a great day. Exactly. Thank you so much. Of course. Take care, Liz. All right. We are going to take one more commercial break. We will come back after this, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on this company and sort of other companies that are launching. Perfect. That was a tongue twister for me, and I'm not really sure why. Um, <laughs> so I we're back here with Todd Capone. He's the author of Transparency Sale. You can get that book and listen to him read it on Audible or any anywhere you get your books. Um, we just heard a pitch. I thought that Liz did an, an outstanding job. If there was any doubts that I had as to whether or not she knew where and why she was in what market, that was cleared up exceptionally quickly. Uh, what were your just general thoughts on, on the overall, the idea or the pitch, the whole thing? I, I love the idea. I think the pitch was fantastic. Yep. I mean, clearly she knew her stuff. I think that the hurdle that she'll probably continue to have is just that education of the consumer, the customer, so that they get a comfort level with the individuals. 
uh, the profiling that she appears to be doing seems very comprehensive, yep. which is fantastic. Like that's what you need. But is that something that is going to be trustworthy for the consumer, knowing the way that the consumer brain is wired and knowing that there is nothing more important in their world than their own children? So here's the thing. And you, <laughs> I'm interested to see what you think of this thought. Um, I think you, tar- I know it seems obvious you target moms. I actually think you target dads. I'm thinking of myself here, and and this is I'm a little bit weird, so maybe this is not going to make sense. But I, of course, love my daughter, and I, I care about them. But I also want a streamlined experience in my life, and I I don't want my child to run my life. I run my life and my child. Like it's not the other way around, and people screw that up, which is a whole other thing. I'm going to be a person where if it's like 80, I know it's your kid, and you're like it's got to be 100. My wife would be 105 percent. I'm like 85%. I need it to be like, what is the likelihood of something going wrong here? It's very, very minimal. After I've done all these checks and balances, I talk to him on the phone. I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character. I listen to him like, you know what? I feel pretty comfortable here. I also have cameras everywhere. They're tied to my phone. If anything goes off, if somebody bumps into my car in the parking garage, I get a notification on my phone. So I'm not as worried about that. I would be if I'm like totally out of pocket, but I have family and people around. So for me, if you came to me and said, I can get you 85% and I can book somebody within 25 minutes, you and I just became great friends. Yeah. And I would just tell my wife, my loving wife, who I know is not listening to this show, so I'll say this on the air. I would just book it, and I wouldn't really even say, you know, did you vet him? Of course I did. I would just take that and put it on me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I would just make it seem like it was care.com or where it was whatever that she's familiar with. I, I would just do it. Am I nuts? Well, like, it, it's funny that when you think about a pro filing system like this that's going to take these caregivers and give them a full background check i mean what's the alternative finding the 16 year old down the street that you've you think known, you know that you think you know but can you really predict if something goes wrong how that 16 year old is going to handle it or would a profiling system that is put in place like this where these people are truly vetted and they're over 18 and they've been doing it and they're nurses or, you know, yeah. that profile? I mean, for me, I would be more comfortable with this than get, grabbing a 16-year-old down throw, the street. Uh, we should never grab 16-year-olds. I'm going to throw a shot of steroids into your statement there. This is a true story. For This is in the throwback machine. For those who have recently watched the movie Versace. My grandmother's neighbor in San Diego as a child was Andrew Cunanan, the, the serial killer Andrew Cunanan. Oh, my. And he was a very, very nice guy. Andy was a wonderful guy, except he wasn't. He had a demon, and he killed people, including Lee Miglin, Lee Miglin here in Chicago. Very famous. That would have been a person who you would have looked at him and like, we're going to Star of the Sea tonight for dinner, and we should have old Andy across the street watch our kid. Andy's a serial killer, and you would not have known it. That's a real story. Yep. That is the kind of stuff we, we, we make big assumptions with people around us we don't actually know, which to take this whole story back to the beginning of, of our, our conversation with you coming on, there's a lot of BS and things you can see in reviews that's not authentic. And you make these assumptions, and they're playing to that. You should be looking out for the, the authentic parts, the pieces that they, they can't hire. If they're, if they're hiding avoiding conversation in areas that's a massive red flag in sales and business and in life and babysitting. And it just goes back to like how amazingly important it is to put everything that you've done good and bad out in front of you and be like, take your pick. If it's, if it's too much for you, I get it, you know, but that's what, that's where I am. Yeah. We're all wired to want to make sure that we predict our experiences. It's 
basically we make all of our decisions with feeling and emotion and only use logic to back it up. Yeah. Right. And that's been proven over and over again, especially over the last 10 years. And one of the most important, there's actually a neuroscientist named Dr. David Rock that had created a, basically a, a program for it that says it's scarf it's status. We you make the acronym hero. Oh, ex- well, you yeah. are buzzword bingo. Exactly. And so you need uh, to, to kind of touch them all. Uh, which is status, which we want to be validated and recognized for the decisions we make. Certainty, which is we want to predict what it's like, uh, what we're getting ourselves into. Autonomy, which is we want to maintain control. Uh, R is relatedness. Is everybody else doing it? Uh, Does it make me feel good and look better to society? And then F is fairness. Does the investment that I make uh, equate with uh, what... I'm going to be getting in return. And so when I think about this profile and what she's putting together, certainty is going to be the big one for consumers to make this work. But I obviously would want to dig into the fairness. How are they pricing? Uh, is this model? I'm going to find out. I'm going to invest. I'm actually going to download the app and, and not tell my wife about it. Well, yeah. I mean, when you see the reports of <laughs> Uber and all of those where they're just you know hemorrhaging money, that you want to make sure that you still have to create a profitable business. Yes. And so I would love to dig into those things. I think they'd be great for We could go staff. all day on the Uber thing. I actually continue to buy Uber as it goes down because I, I really think that like they're going to be launching Uber Works. They're going to be launch- They have a bunch of stuff. I think that business actually has a, a line to profitability. The investors just don't like the line. Right. But that's a whole other conversation. Yep. Um, the one kind of last question I want to ask you on the way out it pertains to anyone, but it does pertain, I think, to startups in particular because they always want to tell their investors, I hired the former growth manager, head of blah, 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 director, VP of X of Groupon or DoorDash, whatever. That's what they like to put on the, on the title frame. How important is business logic when hiring salespeople, when I hire people from for to start my sales team or to grow my sales team, how important is it that they have sold successfully in that market or in that industry versus they're just they've always had high high bottom you know high top line or whatever it is? Well, I think the first thing we've got to look at is the economy, yep. right? And the demand for experienced talent is so much higher than the supply that organizations. That's why there's a, a term around the whole tech world, especially, which is sales enablement that in any organization, you better be prepared to bring in people that don't click, don't check all the boxes on your job rec and be ready to train them and bring them into the world and make sure that you're evaluating their ability to get that. Uh, You've got 30 to 60 days to figure out whether that person you bring in can learn. So having experience before, if they don't, you better be ready to give them that experience before they go start talking to your yeah. customers uh, because it's so hard to find. And there's a lot of turnover going on in the space because companies are throwing perks and money to try to pull people away. But it's you've got to understand the industry that you're selling into. You've got to understand your own products. And then you've got to have a foundational understanding of the fundamentals of selling, prospecting, positioning, presenting, and negotiating. And if you can find all of those, that's a unicorn in today's environment. If you can't, you better be ready to train them. I uh, I completely agree with you. Um, that has wrapped up our show. I thought it was a good one. How, how did you feel about the show? Was it good? I, I laughed. I cried. It was fantastic. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to come in here. Um, I, I think I learned a lot. I hope a lot of the audience members did. Uh, what is your final thoughts on where people can go to follow you and to we can plug the book again and all this other stuff? Well, yeah, I think your audience, uh, take a look at VentureScale.io, like we talked about at the beginning. It's an incubator for early stage tech companies focused on sales and revenue and building your selling foundation. So check that out. We're right now uh, taking applicants for our next cohort that starts the beginning of October. Uh, so I'd love for your audience to take a look at that. 
Uh, for me personally, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at T Capone. And then, of course, the book, The Transparency Sale, is available anywhere books are sold. And you can follow us at Technor. You can follow me at Katoon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're going to take one more commercial break, and we'll check in with Dane Neal.